for me as a rabbi and as, as a professional Jew, Shabbat, I think, more than anything else in my life, has set the rhythm of every other day of the week. Friday night to Saturday being the Jewish Sabbath, Shabbat. I'll just call it Shabbat from here on out, or Shabbos, whatever you prefer. Shabbos, you prefer? Shabbat, okay, Shabbat. Anyone a Shabbos sir here? No? Okay, uh, Shabbos. Um, more than any other day, more than anything else, the rhythm of my week, the way that I think about time is completely anchored in around four to five on Friday night to after the sun goes down and the stars come out Saturday. My work week is dependent on Friday and Saturday. The way that I do my shopping for the week altogether, Friday and Saturday. My laundry based on will I have clean clothes for Friday and Saturday. What we're doing with our 10-month child, 10-month-year-old child based on Shabbat. And so when I heard that there was going to be an entire exhibit based on this great gift that I think the Jewish people have given the world, I was excited to find sources in the Jewish tradition that could be paired with some of the pieces in this exhibit to amp up some of these great ideas that are alongside things like challah, the bread that is eaten on Shabbat, lighting candles, on Friday night, saying kiddush, words of blessing over a cup of wine, as we see in a couple different places. And when I was asked to speak, the idea of ritual itself, ritual as opposed to Jewish concepts of time or the meaning of rest, but ritual itself as being a cornerstone of Shabbat practice and the idea of Shabbat, um, I'd like to explore with you today. So what is ritual? Uh, there are several different definitions of ritual according to the religious studies professors that I have worked with over the years. Uh, but it seems to be, I, I think for me, ritual is the playing out, the acting out, the dramatization of an idea or a value over and again that then comes to explain some sort of phenomenon. And we'll get back into what that definition actually means. So the playing out of an action over time to explain a phenomenon or an idea, and I would even take it one step further and to say sometimes to crystallize a value in concrete action. And this is a blessing and also a danger. First of all, to take an abstract idea, such as rest, or peace, or harmony, and to say, we're actually going to take this large idea, and the idea of peace, for example, and to have it live with Shabbat candles. And that's actually one of the sources that I have here. I'll read it for you. The candlesticks. We light Shabbat candles on Friday night, um, it seemed to be just a practice among the rabbis of the first century of Israel. What makes, a, what makes Friday night a lovely delight? Having candles lit. Nothing that you should light Shabbos candles because it's a mitzvah and it's very important. They just had an aesthetic sense 
that to walk into home on Friday night, which is aglow with candles, brings one a sense of peace, a sense of wholeness, and that it is a delight to the eyes. And over the years, some more things became attached to it. So for example, in the Babylonian Talmud, page uh, 23b of Masechet Shabbat, the tractate about Shabbat, Rava, a sage of Babylonia, says, it is obvious to me that if one must choose to dedicate limited resources between the Shabbat house light and Hanukkah lights, right, if you only have money for one or the other, what do I choose? The former is preferable, Shabbat. Don't worry about Hanukkah, just light Shabbat candles. On account of the importance of Shalom Bait, peace in the home. Why do we light Shabbat candles? So says Rava, because there is some sense of peace when you walk into your house that is lit by candles. The 13th century scholar and commentator on both the Hebrew Bible and on the Talmud, Rashi, says, anywhere there is no light, there is no peace. That's lovely, of course. But he gives something that's actually a little more practical. Because people stumble around in the dark and trip. <laughs> and that is the definition of Shalom Bayit. Not something where people can see the face of the other. Not where we can see the heavenly aspects that are you know, just like the aura around the wick and the flame. No, no. Because when you live in the dark, which most people in the ancient world still had to do without electricity, and the limited resources, again, wicks and oil, all these things cost money, it would be improper for a Shabbat where you were tripping over your furniture or all of the food you were eating was in the dark. So we have this one small definition, this ritual of lighting candles, which was only to provide some creature comfort. But later on in generations, this idea then became something larger. And Shalom Bayit now is not just because we don't want to trip around on our furniture, but actually some more spiritual sense, something more internal. That Shalom Bayit is the ability to see each other in a new way. In a world where we don't spend as much time as we used to sitting around a table with others, or where people are looking at their screens while they're eating, or where our families are in different places at different times, Shalom Bayit is not about comfort, but really about bringing the Bayit, bringing the home together for shleimut, for wholeness. So over time, we start to see kind of the drifting away of the original intent to something that is applicable to right now. And I think that that's the beauty of the Jewish tradition, is that we are anchored in the past through these terms and these ideas, and over time get to reinvent what they mean right now. That's wonderful. So we have things like candles. What about another ritual act. Let's see, we'll go in order. Lighting candles is usually the first ritual act of Friday night. The next ritual act that's in the home, what's that? The wine and then the challah. That's right, so good, a good pairing here. You know each other? Oh, no, never met. Good. I, I want to set you two up. No, okay, forget it. Forget it, I'm not, I'm not the, the Shad Khan here. Okay, 
Um, kiddush. Saying blessings over a glass of wine. Wine in the ancient world was one of the most important drinks. It is seen in the Jewish tradition as have, being a reservoir of blessing itself. Wine was used in the temple ritual as one of the offerings on the altar. A pouring out of wine on the altar is seen as very significant among bread and animal sacrifice. So right, it's, it has ancient meaning and significance. Uh, and then it became located on Friday night, specifically starting with Friday night. Saturday was a later addition, but to say kiddush, sanctification, to say words of blessing and holiness over a cup of wine um, is actually quite interesting. Uh, we have in the Ten Commandments itself this idea that we should zachor et yom hashabbat lekolsho, sheshet yamim ta'avod, I'm going to translate, sheshet yamim ta'avod Beautiful kind of rhythm and poetry in the words. But to remember the Sabbath day in order that you sanctify it. Six days of the week you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall, it will be holy to your God. Okay, so here I'm a rabbinic scholar sitting in Israel in the first century, and I'm reading the Bible and trying to think, Remember Shabbat. What could that possibly mean? Meaning, I could think about Shabbat in my mind, and all of a sudden I have fulfilled one of the Ten Commandments. It's just that easy. No, say the rabbis. It's actually a little bit more complicated than that. Um, and it is put in a very lovely way by the Sefer HaChinuch. Um, the Sefer HaChinuch was a book that was written by a father for a son, where he, the father, enumerates every mitzvah, every commandment of the Bible by number. So we have him writing mitzvah 31, saying kiddush for Shabbat, right? Just a, as a gift. And now it's a gift for all of us. We all get to read this. And well, it, it precedes the Shulchan Aruch, but it, there's the same impulse. Um, to be able to kind of organize all of this material into something that is understandable to, let's say, a child. Um, so he writes at mitzvah number 31, remember the Shabbat. What does it mean? Not just to think about it and then you walk on your way. It is a positive commandment to sanctify Shabbat with words. How does one sanctify a thing? In Jewish tradition it says, to say something, to say something. You don't have to mess with oil or incense or herbs, right? That's not the thing here. It's to say something, to use speech, just as, as we have in our literature that God creates the world through speech, that speech becomes a vehicle for saying blessings, giving over blessing as well. So he says, it's a positive commandment to sanctify Shabbat with words upon its entry and also its departure. So not just once, we remember it on Friday night, but that's not enough. We also say it when the sun goes down on Saturday during Havdalah, during the separation ritual. That there be in them cognizance of the greatness of the day and its stature and its positive distinction from the other days before and after it. So somehow, through the words that you are saying, you start to understand something about 
the wonderfulness of the Shabbat day and how it is not like the other six days of the week. As it is stated in Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 8, that's the Ten Commandments, by the way, remember the Shabbat day to sanctify it. That's the quote. Sefer Achinuch picks up again and says, meaning to say, remember it with a memory of its holiness and greatness. It's not enough to just say, yep, it's Shabbat today, and then to go do something else. But there is something about memorizing the fact that it is so special and unique and important, and as he says, holy and great. And in explanation, our sages told us that we are commanded to say these things upon wine. So again, not enough only to think it, not enough only to say it, but to be doing so with a cup of wine, and we have a couple Kiddush cups here. Here's one amazing piece and another here. We have two Kiddush cups. There's one more? Oh, yeah, that's it. Fantastic, very different, and also two very beautiful pieces. And why say it over wine? The purpose of this is that we be aroused through this act to remember the greatness of the day and that we fix upon our hearts faith in the creation of the world. And therefore, we are obligated to do an act with wine since the nature of humankind is to be greatly aroused by it. And it satiates and causes joy. So we have a couple different things happening, which I think is, uh, is amazing and in some ways a brilliant piece of pedagogy. It's, again, not enough to just think it, not enough to just say it, to externalize it, not enough to only be drinking anything. It has to be wine. And why? In some ways, it's kind of like predating Pavlov. This idea that because wine is already known to make people glad, to make people relaxed, to satiate and bring joy to people's life, we should pair it with this abstract idea of remembering Shabbat. So in some ways, we have the concrete and something concrete that actually intoxicates one. And then the abstract, this idea that through saying these words, we remember the Sabbath day, that we remember something about the creation of the world, that we remember something about holiness, and pairs them together so that each time one either drinks wine or says kiddush, the concrete, in some ways, is holding the abstract idea. Right? Those things are never too far apart from each other. Uh, we also see something similar with challah. Here we have a simple one, two, three braid. Does anyone have another family recipe with more braids than three? How, and does, do you remember how many braids she used to do? Uh, she did seven, and the eighth was over the top. Oh, yeah. Very small. Oh. She was a professional baker in her staple. That is... Fantastic. So a seven-braided challah with an ornamental eighth braid on top. That's my preferred. Shabbos and Simcha only, right? Again, making it more special, right? Ritualizing it by saving the best for Shabbat and holidays so that everyone knew something about it. So abstract, the wonder and beauty of Shabbat put into something that is concrete 
and beautiful. Um, the idea of chala, chala, something interesting about chala um, in the temple, the, the origin of chala is that the, the bread that would be baked for the show bread, um, there, was some, there were 12 loaves that were put inside the temple alongside the menorah and an altar for incense, etc. Um, that some of the bread, some of the dough that was uh, to be baked for this was taken as a tithe. And that was the challah, not the bread itself that was put out for the showbread, but the bread that was taken away as a tithe was called challah. So it's interesting to think that this is not the stand-in for that showbread of the temple, but actually the tithe that was taken for the priests. So in some ways, thinking about, um, this is another talk, but about <laughs> the democratization of holiness in the Jewish tradition, in some, in some way that after the destruction of the temple, we all become priests and priestesses in some way. Um, so challah here, uh, the rabbis affix meaning to this as well. In the Babylonian Talmud again, Shabbat 117b. Rabbi Abba said, on Shabbat, one should break bread over two loaves. We imagine that maybe the rest of the days of the week there was one loaf. On Shabbat, there should be two. What is the reason, the Talmud asks? And then there's a verse from Exodus 16:22. This is post uh, leaving Egypt and wandering in the desert until finally having uh, God provide bread from the sky, manna, and also uh, meat from heaven as well. And it came to pass on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omer measures for each person, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So they are uh, being asked or enjoined that usually that they would go and collect just enough food for the one day, the food that came down from heaven, but on the sixth day, they should gather twice as much because it would not fall on the seventh day. There would be no manna um, outside on the seventh day. So, even though there's only one challah here represented, we have two to memorialize, right? We go back in history, reliving the history, reliving the life of an ancient Israelite by holding these two loaves in our on Shabbat. And interestingly, even later, this idea of bread from heaven starts to symbolize everyone's unique capacity for understanding Torah in their own way. Because there's a, another beautiful midrash, another story that said that the manna would taste different to every other person based on their own ability, based on their own uh, subjective experience. And that's amazing. Um, I would taste pasta primavera, and a, uh, Freddy would taste prime rib, etc. Whatever you were thinking about, the, the mana would, would taste like. And so too then the rabbis make that jump to say, oh, 20 minutes. Um, so too with Torah study. Each of us has our own unique voice, our own tam, our own flavor for what the text means and what it could say to us and to the people that we care about and to later generations. And so to be able to appreciate 
that we have our own unique voice and to be able to then say, I am going to learn Torah because I have my own Tom. I have my own way of understanding these texts and it's worthwhile and worthy to share it. Um, so my time is up, unfortunately. That was a quick 20 minutes. Um, but just to close and to say that when, uh, when one experiences for themselves the Jewish Sabbath, Shabbat, either in ritual spaces or communal spaces or in synagogue spaces, to potentially look past the ritual that is happening, right? There might just be that ritual act, but to be able to ask, what is happening behind this? What is the value that is being expressed? What is the myth? What is the story that this ritual is trying to remind me of? And maybe I could tap into that and get behind it or under it and make it my own in some unique way.